My father-in-law's like, it's about time. <laughs> but I was at home, and you can ask my wife. You can ask my boys. We were at home, and when, when, when the, we would turn church on on Sunday mornings, I'm telling I don't know about your house, but for me personally, the Spirit of God hit me like a freight train every Sunday morning during worship. Of course, I had already heard the sermon. But the reality was, man, when that worship would play, the Spirit of God would hit me. And I'd stand right there in my living room weeping, and the boys are like, <laughs> not really, I'm just picking on them. But the Spirit of God was present. We're, we are, we've come together. Man, the Spirit of God is here. Does the Bible not testify to that fact where two or more are gathered in His name as touching anything? And this morning, if there's anything that I really feel like we should be touching, it's Him. So let's just take a second. Can we just do this? Can you all just join me for a second? Let's just take a second. Let's just breathe. And let's just thank the Lord for who He is. Father, we worship You. We glorify the name of the Lord. Father, we thank you for this day because you have seen fit in your due time to bring us back together, Lord. We are gathered here together in a house in the name of the Lord for no other reason than to come and worship the name of the Lord. And Father, we just glorify your name in all the earth. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Go ahead, brother. Do it. Come on. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Come on. Come on. Yes. Yes. Man, did y'all hear that? Praise God. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for that word. Thank you, Lord. Man, I praise God for that. Thank you for the... Man, you see, that's the thing. We were. You can ask the staff. You can ask them, well, what are we going to do if the Spirit of the Lord breaks out? Well, we're going to let him break out. You don't really harness God. You know what I'm saying? So praise God for that. Thank you so much. Guys, it is really good to see you, but I want to do a quick commercial message here, and all it amounts to is saying thank you. We've, this morning, we had 17 volunteers here doing work to make sure that it was safe, we were in compliance, and that everything would go smoothly to come into this house this morning. That's 17 volunteers, not including the pastoral staff. That's 17 of you, so that's... I don't know, I'm looking at probably at least half of you or more were volunteers this morning. And I just want to, I'm, thank you, thank you, appreciate you so much. Man, this is fun. If everybody would kind of just get a little bit loose, we're going to have just a final time in the Lord, amen? Okay, now I'm four and a half minutes into my time. Wow, really? <laughs> Well, since we have kind of a, a bit of a schedule to keep, why doesn't everybody open their Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 5? Romans chapter 5. 
I was asking the Lord, Lord, how do you want me to do this this Sunday? What's a word to bring to uh, everybody as they congregate back at Calvary Worship Center? And uh, the way God does things is the way God does things. If you're a preacher or a teacher, you know that. You know, you don't really tell God what to do. God tends to guide and direct and lead. And he said, we're going to be speaking this morning for a few minutes on the subject of hope. Okay? Now, I'm not going to talk globally. I'm not going to talk nationally. I'm not going to talk statewide. I'm talking personally this morning, okay? All right. Romans chapter 5 and verse 3, unlike what I normally do, we're actually reading from the King James Version of the Bible today, and it's going to be up here behind me. Normally, uh, I teach from the NIV, and I will get to the NIV when I get to Mark chapter 4 in just a few minutes. But right now, Romans chapter 5 and verse 3 from the King James Version of the Bible reads, And not only so... But we glory. Now the word glory there in the King James is actually the word rejoice in other more modern translations, including the NIV. Not only so, but we rejoice. We glory in tribulations also. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And patience experience and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. I love that verse, if for no other reason than it's kind of a progressive verse. It takes you down a pathway that if you are tuned into what Romans 5 is saying, This progression works itself out in your life and in your living. Um, We glory in tribulations. Now, how many here does that sound a bit weird to? Now, I know all of you are veterans, and you all know this scripture frontwards and backwards. But glory, to rejoice in tribulations on face value is weird. That's weird. Bad things coming down the pike... For you, we on the surface as human beings, if we lean to our carnal fleshly side, tribulations are just big bummers. Who wants to rejoice in that? But in reality, you are children of God, and the children of God's steps by virtue of your righteousness Through Jesus Christ, your steps are ordered so nothing is happenstance, coincidence, or the like. So tribulations that come our way have a purpose. That is working patience in our lives. Because you go into whatever tribulation it is that you're dealing with, knowing full well that nothing escapes the purview of God. Yes? Okay. And so when something comes your way, you know that, man, this isn't any fun. And frankly, I just don't want to be here. But I'm going to patiently wait this out. Here's your progression. Tribulation hits. 
you know in whom you have believed and that he is able to keep you. And by virtue of that, you patiently wait for that maturation of that tribulation for you to get through that. Patience then, by virtue of waiting through that tribulation, patience then gives you experience in how to handle tribulation. Because the next time, once you've come through the tribulation that you've already been through, the next time one appears in your life, you go, I recognize this. I know this. And you patiently wait. Why? Because the last time earned you experience. The next time comes along and you go, uh-huh. And you get more experience. And you patiently wait. And then the next time you get more experience. How many of you have been through multiple tribulations in your life? How many of you have ever come out on the far end of your tribulation having watched God bring you through it? Yeah, I got hands up all over. Yeah. And then the funny thing about it is that once you have had this tribulation and you work through it with patience and you gain your experience, that experience then creates a sense of hope. Because you've gone through all this before, you're progressing forward now in your whatever your latest tribulation is, patiently, with experience, you walk through it with hope, because you've gained all this experience and you know God is with me in the face of this tribulation. And in that, I have hope. And it's not so much the hope of getting through the tribulation because you've already garnered the experience to do that. But what does the Bible say right there? Hope makes you not ashamed. All right, I'm going through all this stuff, but I'm not ashamed. I've experienced these things, but I'm not ashamed. Why? Because the love of God through the Holy Spirit is in you and therein lies your hope. Therein lies your hope. A.S. Worrell. He's the late A.S. Worrell. Regarding the idea that we should glory, that is to rejoice, in tribulations. A.S. Worrell wrote that we should uh, do so, quote, because of their utility. Because of the utility of tribulations. That is, their usefulness. We should glory in tribulations because of their utility. He goes on and says, Tribulations rightly endured work out patience, endurance, or steadfastness. And patience, in turn, works out approval or approved integrity. Both in view of good men, in other words, they're looking at you and seeing it, and of God, because he's definitely watching. And approval, this approval, leads to hope. And hope makes not ashamed, but because of, but because, but, 
but causes one to rise above all trials. For already the love of God has been poured out in one's heart by the Holy Spirit. End quote. Hope. Has this coronavirus, COVID-19 thing been a trial to you? Has it been a tribulation? Have you been going through, do you realize it's been eight weeks since we've been here together? Have you been going through the past eight weeks not knowing what's going to happen at the end of this trial, but because of who you are, you've been waiting patiently because you've been through trials before and you had the experience to walk this path in hope because you know in whom you have believed. And lo and behold, you're not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad and here we are. Here we are. Praise God. We hear or have been hearing on almost a daily basis that as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic that we have a new normal that everything has changed and that nothing is ever going to be the same again. How many of you have heard something like that throughout the weeks? Panicked hoarding of essential goods. Anybody run into that problem? Schools closed with the how and the when they will reopen uncertain. Businesses closed, some of them for good. Jobs lost and unemployment at its highest in history. Financial systems rocked. Economies pillaged. Governments scrambling. Elected officials seizing opportunities to overreach. Everyday life unalterably transformed. Even attending church has changed. And the list goes on and on. Turn with me to the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Mark, if you will. This is going to be from the NIV. And we're going to read a story that every one of us have read umpteen times in our Christian lives. Beginning in verse 35 of Mark's Gospel, the Bible says, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, listen to this, just as he was in a boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that It was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. I love that picture. I love that picture. In the middle of a storm, Jesus is asleep. Not just asleep, but he's comfortable. Because the Bible says he's on a cushion. So he made every bit of this count. If I'm going to take a nap, I'm going to get a good one. The disciples woke him and said to him, 
Teacher, don't you care if we drown? In the message it says, Teacher, is it nothing to you that we're, that we're going down? Right here, there's a lack of experience and absolutely zero patience. Because right here, these fishermen, these experienced seamen, they have no hope. They're looking at the guy who does everything for them, and now they're accusing him. Passive-aggressively accusing him of not giving a flip that they're about to die. He got up. I'm sorry, I, I, I see things differently than a lot of people. And I see it sometimes sarcastically. And I just see Jesus like, oh boy. Getting up off his cushion in the middle of this storm. You see, yesterday, Riley and my wife and Tanner were all saying how much they love it when it rains and they're at the house because it causes you to just be relaxed. It's for those, what we call sleepy days. Jesus is in the middle of a sleepy day. And they're yelling at him, don't you even care? Okay. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, be just quiet. Be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Listen, I'm going to interject a line here. After everything you've seen, after everything you've experienced, after everything you've watched me do, do you still have no faith? Are you afraid still? They were terrified. Now I want you to look at where the disciples' heads go. They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey Him. You see, that's one of our problems, is we're looking at the wrong thing. We're looking at the show and not the God. Here we are in the middle of a storm. Ours is called COVID-19. Theirs was a literal squall on the water, which from what I understand, never having been there before, uh, over on Galilee, it's common. This kind of thing happens, I, I, I guess. But here they are in the middle of the storm. They have a destination determined by God himself. Let's go to the other side. And then the Bible says they put him in a boat. Did you notice the line? Just as he was. Nothing else. Just Jesus. How many of you found out during toilet paper shortage, the past two months of toilet paper shortages, that really Jesus is about all you need? Because He's going to provide things for you. Did anybody experience that? I'm going to be honest with you. I did. We did. The Bedards, we experienced that. When you get into the boat to head to your journey, everyone here is in your boat and you have a journey. He's already established where you're going. 
He never said that everything was going to be hunky-dory and that there wouldn't be tribulations along the way. He said, but rejoice in them already. Rejoice in the tribulations. Well, a squall, this COVID thing, which he already said he's going to follow up with a poor outpouring of his spirit, that's our squall. But he already determined you're heading somewhere I've decided for you. So let's get there. I'm going to go take a nap. How many, did anybody feel like God was taking a nap? In your life, has anyone ever felt like God was taking a nap? You th- and as soon as God takes a nap, as soon as that Jesus goes to the back of the boat, grabs a cushion and lays down, we forget that there's a destination been ascertained by the divine himself. And when things seem to go not according to our idea of the plan, suddenly we're accusing God of not being where he should be. Man, I should have figured this was not going to get amens. I should have figured that going in. Miscalculation on my part. Just Jesus. Just Jesus shows up in the middle of our storm and he just says, Quiet! I'm napping, storm! They're bothering me and I'm napping! Shut up! Then he looks at him. <laughs> he looks at him and says, Why are you afraid? Yeah, well, I'll tell you why we're afraid. It's because we don't have enough experience. We're not rejoicing in our tribulations because they work patience and we haven't learned our patience yet. Now, I'm not saying everybody, but I'm just saying this is a blanket statement. And tribulation, we rejoice in those things because we're getting stuff out of it. At this stage in the game on, on the boat, they hadn't gotten anything out of their tribulations yet. When Jesus is incarcerated and taken to the high priest's house, they still haven't got it yet because most of them ran. Peter's lying. But we're supposed to rejoice in our tribulations because we're going to get stuff out of that that's going to create in us a hopefulness that is steadfast because the love of God's already in our hearts, and that's what we hope. We're not ashamed because, look, I don't have to be ashamed in this tribulation like something's gone wrong in me. No, the love of God's in me. I can't be ashamed. Who's hearing me? Let's move forward. Unfortunately, I'm going to quote one of my college professors. I've quoted her before, Gwen Miner. Like the disciples, there are often times that children of the Most High God find ourselves doubting in the dark what God has told us in the light. And we need to avoid that by glorying, rejoicing in our tribulations. Several years ago, a teacher assigned to visit a, uh, children in a large city hospital received a routine call, nothing special, requesting that she visit a particular t- child. She took the boy's name and his room number and was told by the teacher on the other end of the line. Now, we're studying nouns and adverbs in his class. I'd be really grateful if you could help him with his homework so he doesn't fall behind the others. 
Well, it wasn't until the visiting teacher got inside the boy's room and she realized it was located in the hospital's burn unit. No one had prepared this visiting teacher um, to, fi- uh, to find this young boy who was horribly burned and was in great pain. She felt that she couldn't just turn around and walk out, so she awkwardly stammered, I'm the hospital teacher, and your teacher sent me to help you with nouns and adverbs. The next morning, a nurse on the burn unit asked her, what did you do to that boy? Before she could finish a profusion of apologies, the nurse interrupted her. You, You don't understand. We've been very worried about him. But ever since you were here yesterday, his whole attitude has changed. He's fighting back, and he's responding to treatment. It's as though he's decided to live. The boy later explained that he had completely given up hope until he saw that teacher. It all changed when he came to one simple realization. With joyful tears, he expressed it this way. This is what the little boy said. They wouldn't send a teacher to work on nouns and, uh, nouns and adverbs with a dying boy, would they? So it is with our, uh, what we perceive as our seemingly hopeless circumstances, tribulations that seem to have no end. You may have gotten burned, as it were, donning the painful reminders of hopes that have turned to ash. Who planned on taking two months off a church? Who planned on unemployment? Who planned on can't buy toilet paper? Who planned on that? However, Here's the reality. You're not dead, and you're not dying. You may be at the point of hopelessness. This may have just turned you inside out, or some completely, totally unrelated circumstance to the pandemic. You may be at the point of hopelessness. But remember, hope maketh not ashamed. So don't give up hope. Rather, Glory, that is rejoice in tribulations also. Knowing that tribulations worketh patience. Patience experience and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. In life, circumstances can appear hopeless. As a result, we can think that there is no way to reconcile or resolve what we're facing. We can go there. We do that. But here's something. I'm just going to share my heart for just a moment before I close. I've never understood the concept of hopelessness. On a personal level, I have never understood the concept of hopelessness. That doesn't make me better in some way, 
Maybe it makes me utterly naive. I don't know. I just have never been able to wrap my head around the idea of hopelessness. Never. I've always had hope. I have always had hope. I've always been a person that retained a measure of hope no matter how dire the situation or the circumstance. Even if it in just even if it was just in my mind, I've never been without some semblance of hope. And I've never ever been disappointed. The situation or the circumstance may not have been the outcome that I envisioned or that I hoped for. But I have never been in a situation where my hopefulness was betrayed. And I ended up hopelessly shipwrecked and marooned on an island of utter despair. Not one time. I don't cannot wrap my head around the idea of hopelessness. As a result, we're going to get a little dicey right here. As a result, I've never understood how someone can take their own life. I don't understand that. And I'm being serious. Now, I realize that you personally may have been touched by suicide directly or indirectly. And I certainly do not mean to offend anyone. That's not my intention. But I do not understand that level of hopelessness. People live in hopelessness to the point where they take their own lives thinking that not existing is better than whatever one might be facing. I, I don't understand that. Utter, perfect hopelessness without the possibility of rescue. I, I'm sorry, I can't. I, I, and if, I don't, if you don't mind, I'm going to just kind of grab onto that one. Uh, coattails. I simply don't understand the idea of hell. I'm a preacher, and I don't understand hell from an intellectual perspective. I simply can't wrap my head around the idea of eternity. The I, who here gets the concept of eternity? I, I don't get eternity. It's it's like God, eternity is far too expansive for me to grasp. Because I guess God made us this way. We are built on time limits. The idea of eternity where there is not even... Time limits are not even in the discussion because time isn't in the discussion. I can't wrap my head around eternity, much less eternity in hell. Endless suffering, agony, darkness so perfect it can be felt. 
the smell of burning sulfur, scorched hair, incinerated flesh, and screams from countless voices eternally eliminating the very concept of silence from all remembrance, existing in an endless, perpetual inferno without the possibility of reprieve for eternity, clothed in quintessential hopelessness. Does anybody get that? Hopelessness is hard for me. But there's a reason why I don't understand those things. There's a reason. There's a reason I always have hope. No matter how hopeless things look. It's because, quote, the love of God is shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost which is given in me. I know Jesus. That's why I can't understand hopelessness. In Him, hope lives in me through the Holy Ghost. You can, Listen. You cannot know You cannot know Jesus and not know hope. You cannot know Jesus and not know hope. In the most dire of circumstances, He is hope. The song says, He is our peace, which has broken down every wall. This morning, I'm going to pray. And I just want you to know, if, if, if you're picking this up on YouTube, you're a member here, uh, you attend this church, or you don't at all, I just want to pray. Because there are people out there right now who are scared. And they don't have hope. There are people out there who are facing circumstances. Our brothers and sisters... If you're on the prayer chain, you've been inundated by prayer requests as of late who have circumstances where they need hope. So if I can, I would like to ask you to stand with me this morning. And we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Why did I tell you that stuff? It's because we are emissaries of hope we have hope because of the love of God within us therefore we don't we don't coexist with hopelessness in our lives and because of that we need to be the light in the darkness yes good you knew I was going to get around to it you knew I was heading there at some point let's pray Father, we worship you and we glorify your name in all the earth. And we ask in Jesus' name that you would minister right now in the name of Jesus to the body of Christ. 
people who are steadfast believers. And Father, those who, who don't adhere to you. They don't believe in this gospel. At least the tenets of the gospel where they have to give their lives over to you, accept you as, as Lord and Savior because they have to admit their position as sinners. Father, I just pray that you administer to them. Draw them near to you, whether believer or not. If there's a sense of hopelessness, even in the corners of their hearts and minds, because catastrophe has come upon them in some way, shape, or form, large or small, it's irrelevant. Father, you are our hope. And we're to rejoice in these tribulations. We're to gain the experience. We're to gain the patience. We're to have the hope. And we're not to be ashamed. Father, we certainly don't want to stand before you ashamed. Father, we don't want to get part of the way across this journey that you've already prescribed for us and panic and freak out because something has hit us. And it seems so frightening. That when we wake you up, we're casting aspersions. Don't you even care? I thought you cared. But Lord, I ask in Jesus' name that you administer right now. Father, touch the lives of people where they are. Children of God and people who are not your children. Father, draw them close to you. Bring them near. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Draw them near. I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. We are so glad that you came to church this morning. It's so good to see you all. There's coming a day that we're not going to have to keep distance. And when we don't, I think we're going to have to dedicate the entire worship hour just to hugs. Yeah. As you go... Well, again, I, I, thank you for being here this morning. But as you go, remember the offering stations at both foyers, and you can exit out both of these south foyers, whichever one's most agreeable and w- works for you. God bless you all, and it's so good to see you. Lord bless you. Have a wonderful day, and we will be back with it next week. And by the way, Brother Gary is going to be getting ready to do his midweek services again on video. So look for YouTube. We'll get the announcements out, all right? Go with God.